So reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16, all the way through 5, 2 through to 21. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing up for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might not longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Harriet. Let's ask God to give us wisdom as we look together at this part of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word. Please help us understand it and work through it in our hearts and help us put these things into practice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes all you need is a little perspective. 
It's why I love looking out the windows when I fly on a plane. You get to watch the ground, you know, get smaller and smaller underneath you. Cars shrink like ants. People are too small to see. Houses look like little models. And, uh, and you can just watch the world go by underneath you. And it kind of puts things into perspective. My whole life is lived out in this small little area that I can see out the window. The things that I worried, worry about seem small when viewed from up high. I'm part of a much larger group of people living out their lives together. But the new perspective a plane can give is nothing compared to this photo. It's called the Pale Blue Dot, and it was taken in 1990 by the Voyager 1 spacecraft as it sped further and further out of the solar system. It looks like a speck of dust hanging in a sunbeam. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, let me just uh, make it a little clearer, zoom in a bit. See that speck of dust? That dot that looks like a speck of dust, maybe on the lens cap, is the planet Earth. All of our lives, every moment, every relationship, every birth, every death, wars, peace treaties, elections, all of it happening on that little pale blue dot. Now that's perspective. When it comes to the scale of the universe, we are very small. Best we remember that. In this passage, Paul, he is giving us a new perspective. He's giving us a gospel perspective. Paul wants us to see everything in light of the world-changing reality of the good news of Jesus. The thing about flying at planes and looking at photos like that is no matter how good they are, we forget it pretty quickly. It really doesn't change that much about how we live. But this gospel perspective that Paul is giving us, it should change everything. Paul's going to show us how the good news of Jesus, it gives us a new perspective on everything in our lives so that we live to, go, live to please God and proclaim Jesus in all we do. It's a perspective we need to see, a perspective that we need to live. So let's zoom out together. And let's gain a gospel perspective. Paul starts by giving us a gospel perspective of our future. Remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth because things are hard. Their relationship, it is strained. They're disappointed with Paul. Other teachers are trying to muscle in and lead them away from Paul and the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to call them to stick with the gospel and to stick with their partnership with him. And his ministry is hard. It includes suffering and trouble. We, why should the Corinthians stick with someone like that? But last week we saw that Paul doesn't lose heart because God works through his weaknesses to proclaim the gospel for his glory and our good. Because God works through clay jars like Paul, like us, we can be finding joy in weakness and finding strength in God. And part of why Paul doesn't lose heart is that he has a gospel perspective of his future. Part of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has done, his light and momentary suffering now is preparing for him an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
that changes his perspective. He doesn't look to the things that are seen, the physical world, this present suffering. He looks to the things that are unseen. His glorious future puts his present suffering into perspective. And what is that future he looks forward to? Look in verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul was a tent maker. Remember, he knew tents. Tents are great for holidays. They're great for traveling. But I definitely wouldn't like to live in one forever, no matter what the kids say. Especially on cold, wet days like yesterday. And Paul is saying that our present bodies are like tents. They are temporary. We're in them now, but God has something better in store for us. Not a tent, but a building, a house, a permanent body that God has made for those who trust in Jesus. Paul is looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and those who trust in him will be raised from the dead and given new resurrection bodies. Real bodies with flesh and blood and knees and elbows and and noses. But resurrection bodies. Bodies that aren't affected by the sickness and suffering and pain of this world. Eternal houses compared to the temporary tents we live in now. Gee, I look forward to that. And for now, we groan and suffer. We are longing for that future, verse 2. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. See, as long as we live in these tents, as long as we live in this world, we're still groaning. We get sick, we suffer, we struggle in our relationships, we we struggle with mental health, we wrestle against sin, we are groaning. But our hope isn't to be rid of our bodies, to be some disembodied spirit floating around, spirits playing harps on clouds all day, like those old Philadelphia cream cheese ads. Paul says that would be like being naked. Because having a body is actually something good. It is something that God has given us. Our hope is something better than that. Something more solid. Our mortal flesh swallowed up by life. Being clothed with our resurrection bodies. Real physical bodies but made new. Made eternal. God will do this. How can we be sure? He's given us a guarantee, a down payment, his own Holy Spirit that he gives to all those who trust in him guarantees that God will keep his promise. Verse 5, he has prepared us for this very thing as God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. This new perspective, it changes the way Paul lives now. He lives with confidence, with courage. Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. 
We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul can face everything. He can face suffering, trouble, danger, even death with courage because he knows that God has prepared for him an eternal house, a resurrection body. And he knows that if he dies before then, he will be present with the Lord. He'll be at home with him, enjoying his presence, waiting for the day when Jesus returns and he receives his new resurrection body. This new perspective means that he lives with courage. He walks by faith, not by sight, living with the confidence of the resurrection. And he lives to please God in all that he does. Verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It says one more aspect of Paul's gospel perspective of the future. We will all stand before Jesus on judgment day. We will be held accountable for everything that we have done. Now, Paul is very clear here and in other places. There is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' death for our sins and because he rose from the dead in victory, our sins have been paid for and God counts us as righteous. If we trust in Jesus, we can face this judgment with confidence, not terror, knowing that we will receive those resurrection bodies because of what Jesus has done, not what we've done. But that doesn't mean that how we live now is not important. We will still be held accountable for how we live now. This doesn't threaten our eternal future with the Lord but it does mean that we will give an account to Jesus for the way that we live. So don't use God's grace as a license for sin. To live life your own way for yourself. Sin is serious. You will stand before Jesus on that day and you will give an account. In light of this, Paul lives to please God in all that he does. And this perspective, it should change the way that we live too. When we're suffering and struggling, we can do so with confidence and courage, knowing that God has something better for us in store. This suffering is preparing for us a glory beyond comparison. He will give us an eternal home rather than this tent we live in now. So keep going. Know that God's promises are sure. Cry out to him. Groan. Paul says that's a right response to this life. But as we do so, we do so with confidence and courage, looking to the future. When we're tempted to live for ourselves, when we're struggling with sin and wondering whether we should just give in, remember that we will stand before Jesus on the last day. You will stand before Jesus on the last day. You will be held accountable. You might think no one will ever know. But one day you will answer to Jesus. He knows. 
Let's keep that in mind. Let's live to please him. Paul's gospel perspective of our future, it also flows into our present. It gives us a gospel perspective of others. See it in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, that's a right response to knowing that we will stand before Jesus on that day, right? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. See, in light of the gospel, Paul persuades others. He's talked about this already. He's part of the gospel parade, remember, spreading the fragrance of Christ everywhere. He's simply clearly proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as God works to change hearts through it. Seeing the future clearly in light of the gospel gives Paul urgency and boldness to share the good news of Jesus with all those around him. He doesn't change the message, but he does do the best he can to persuade others that it's true. Do we feel urgency like that? Remember Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, it's a bit rocky. So he's laying out the truth of his ministry to call them to stick with him. Before God, he is confident that he's been faithful in his ministry. And he hopes that the Corinthians see it too. Because it's not about him, it's about what God is doing. Verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Paul isn't trying to brag about himself here. He's trying to give the Corinthians an answer for those false teachers who are trying to separate them from Paul. These false teachers, they're all about outward appearance, not about truth before God. Paul doesn't look impressive. He knows it. But his conscience is clear before God. And everything he does is for their sake before God. If he seems crazy in his gospel proclamation, he knows he's doing it all to please God. When he's proclaiming the gospel simply and clearly and seems sane, it's for their sake that they might hear, believe and grow in faith. Because of what Jesus has done, everything Paul does is for the sake of proclaiming Jesus. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul's whole life is driven by the love of Christ. The great love Jesus has shown for us compels him to proclaim the good news of Jesus everywhere he goes. It compels him to try and persuade others, even when it's costly. It compels him to live his whole life to please God. He slips in here a little summary of the gospel to back that up. Jesus has died for all. He died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who trust in him. We've all rebelled against God, our creator. We've chosen to live our own way. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We haven't done good things we should have done. We said no to God to live our own way, to live as our own rulers. 
And the just and rightful punishment for this is death, to be separated from the living God that we've rejected, the source of all life and good. But Jesus took our punishment for us. He died so that we don't have to. If we trust in him, then it's as if we've died too. The penalty is paid. There's nothing left to do. Jesus died for us. And if he died for us and we have new life through faith in him, then this life we have is not ours to do whatever we want with. It was bought at a cost. As the song says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. This is good news for all people. Now, Paul doesn't mean by all here that everyone is saved automatically. Otherwise, why would he be going about proclaiming the good news of Jesus? But what he does mean is that this good news is for all people, Jews and Gentiles, young and old, slave and free, Aussies like us. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is guaranteed eternal life in him. And notice this love of Christ that compels Paul. It's what Linda was talking about before. Start with loving Christ, loving those around us, and then serve where we are. That's what happens when the love of Christ compels us. And this gospel perspective, it changes how Paul sees everyone around him. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Paul's made this mistake before and he's learned from it. He judged Jesus based on outward appearance. Jesus wasn't impressive. He wasn't the conqueror they were hoping would come and kick out the Romans. He died in shame on a cross. He must have been cursed by God. But Paul missed that Jesus is the Christ, God's promised king. He didn't die for his own sin, he died for ours. And this changes how Paul sees everyone. You know, we long for that new creation, right? When Jesus returns and sets all things right, when there'll be no more sickness or suffering or pain. But Paul is saying that the new creation has begun. It's not here in full yet, but the down payment has been made. Each person who is joined to Jesus by trusting in him has been made new. They may not look at it on the outside, But looks can be deceiving. There's more than meets the eye. The new creation has broken in in their lives. Now this doesn't mean that we don't sin. We still struggle with temptation. We still wrestle with the flesh. We still sin. The work isn't finished yet. But we are categorically different. If we trust in Jesus, we have been made new. Actually, I want to say our struggle with sin is a prime example of this. If it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, if we weren't made new, then sin wouldn't bother us like it does. We wouldn't feel that tension and that wrestle. We wouldn't want to resist temptation. See, even that struggle, guilt and frustration we feel is because the new creation has begun in us. Paul's perspective of others is totally changed by this. 
Because Jesus died for them, he sees everyone differently. The love of Christ drives him to persuade those who don't believe and to see those who do believe as made new. Do we have a gospel perspective like this? Do we look at our neighbours and our families and our friends and see people who desperately need persuading about the gospel? Who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus and be made new? It is dreadfully easy for us to lose our gospel perspective on this. To become numb to the fate of those who are around us. To lose sight of the fact that without the good news of Jesus, those around us face eternal death for their sin. We need to regain that gospel perspective. It starts with marvelling again at the love of Christ for us. He willingly suffered and died so that you and I don't have to face the rightful punishment that we deserve for our sin. When was the last time you simply marvelled at Christ's love for you? Because that does something to us. It compels us. And then let's ask that God would help us not to be apathetic about those around us, that the love of Christ would compel us to seek to persuade others, remembering that he died so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. Maybe it starts with something as simple as being committed to regularly praying for those around us who don't yet trust in Jesus, making that a daily habit. Will the love of Christ compel us to persuade others with the gospel? We need God to give us that gospel perspective on others. And this gospel perspective on others gives us a new gospel perspective on our lives too. Look in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul uses another picture of the gospel here. He's really throwing the gospel kitchen sink at them in this passage. Reconciliation. Through Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself. We were separated from him. We were his enemies because of our sin, rebels. And yet through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has reconciled us to himself. He's not counted our sins against us, but paid for them. He's brought us back, not to a neutral relationship, but as his beloved children. And this changes Paul's life. God has given him the ministry of reconciliation. See what Paul's saying here. As he goes around the ancient world proclaiming the good news of Jesus, God is working through his words to bring about his work of reconciliation. As Paul preaches the gospel, God is doing his work of reconciliation through Paul. So the Corinthians, they'd better listen to Paul, right? Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Paul's an ambassador for Jesus. Now, ambassador has just one job, really, to faithfully represent the one who sends him. His job isn't to change the message into be something he thinks that people would like to hear. His job isn't to change people's minds. His job is to simply faithfully, truthfully, clearly represent the one who sends him. Paul's job is to represent Jesus by faithfully and clearly presenting the message of the gospel. And he does that. He calls the Corinthians to be faithful to the gospel and to their partnership with him. As an ambassador for Christ, he calls them to be reconciled to God. Now, I don't think he means here that they're not really Christians and so they should believe for the first time. He's seen God's spirit working in them. They do believe. But at the moment, they are turning away from the gospel and they're turning away from their partnership with Paul. And if Paul is God's ambassador, that means they're turning away from God too. So Paul is pleading with them to stay faithful, to be reconciled to God, to hold fast to the gospel and to their partnership with him. All this is because of the gospel. Because Jesus, who never sinned, who didn't deserve death, suffered the punishment for all sinners. He was made to be sin so that through his death we might be counted righteous before God. And Paul, and this gives Paul a unique gospel perspective on his life. He's been given this ministry of reconciliation. He is an ambassador for Christ. He takes this role seriously. Now, Paul had a unique role. We have to recognise that. He was one of the apostles, eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. It was their job to proclaim the good news of Jesus and bear witness to him. In that sense, his role as an ambassador and his ministry of reconciliation are unique to him. But this doesn't stop with the apostles. This is a trajectory that God, Jesus has set for all his people as we take the good news of Jesus out wherever we go, as we go and make disciples, as Linda read for us before. God is now working through all of his people to proclaim this message of reconciliation, not just through Paul, but through us, as we share the good news of Jesus with our neighbours and our friends and our families. This new perspective that Paul has on his life is a new perspective for our lives too. We are ambassadors for Christ. It is our job to faithfully represent Jesus wherever we go. To represent him in the way that we act, pleasing him in all that we do, but also to represent him with our words, to faithfully proclaim the good news of reconciliation with Jesus so that, that we can call people to trust in him. This is a great privilege. God is doing his work of reconciliation through us. He's bringing the dead to life. He's doing his work of new creation. He's doing it through people like us as we share the good news of Jesus. It doesn't depend on how good we are, impressive, how well we can speak. This is God's work, not ours. So let's get on with it. Let's be bold to share the good news of Jesus and to persuade others. Let's live in light of this gospel perspective, seeing ourselves as ambassadors, representing him faithfully in all that we do and say. 
Let's call on those around us to be reconciled to God. And in those moments where we feel totally unable to do that, when we're afraid, overwhelmed by our weaknesses, uncertain, let's remember that it's God himself who has given us this. God himself who's working through the gospel to transform people. And it's through our weaknesses that his power is shown. We can't do this, not ourselves, but God can do it through us. You know, a healthy dose of perspective is a good thing. And gospel perspective is even better. So as we live this week, let's live with gospel perspective. A gospel perspective of our future as we live with courage because of the heavenly home that God has in store for us. And we live to please God in all we do. A gospel perspective of others as we seek to persuade others because Christ died for us so that we might live for him. And a gospel perspective of our lives as ambassadors for Christ. Those who've been graciously reconciled to God so that we might proclaim this good news of reconciliation. All this is beyond us on our own. But God is working. So let's live with that gospel perspective this week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your great grace and mercy to us, that although we were your enemies, you reconciled us to yourself through your Son, Jesus. Thank you that you've given us this work of reconciliation, that you make us ambassadors for you. Please help us to be bold in proclaiming the gospel to those around us, seeking to persuade others. Please help us to live in a way that's pleasing to you each day this week. And please, Lord, work to give us courage as we face the suffering and trouble of this life that we would remember that heavenly home that you have sought up for us. Because of this, help us to live as those who no longer live for ourselves, but live for Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.